And I want to preach to you tonight or speak to you on the subject going beyond the call of duty. Going beyond the call of duty. Now I'm going to deviate a little bit from my message and just talk to you a little bit because I don't think I'll get another chance to as a group together uh, before a few things take place. Tomorrow we have a funeral, as you know, at 11 o'clock. Aunt Nellie Strike passed away. And, of course, she was baptized here in this church, I think, in 1972 or 1971. We do not have records kept back that far. Brother Blackshear was a pastor at the time. And uh, she attended very faithfully here until... uh, about five or six years ago when her health became a big factor. And then, of course, she's been in and out of the hospital and been to church uh, one time, I think, in the last year or year and a half. And I was really surprised to see her then. Her health, she was 86 years of age. And then, of course, had very poor eyesight. She had uh, bad heart, several other health problems so we'll be involved in a funeral tomorrow and then uh, I, I need to work in a trip up to camp if I can and I don't know exactly how I can but I need I need to go up to camp and then uh, Friday evening we got a good full day and Saturday we got the father-son picnic we'll invite all of our men and their sons, of course, if uh, even if you're not married, uh, you can come. You men can come, and it's just really just a, a big get-together for the men. We're going to have a great time. Now, Sunday evening, I will not be here in service, and possibly I'll not be here Sunday morning. Now, the reason why, and uh, I don't see anybody that I think is from Beloit here. We don't have anybody from the Beloit Church, do we? Sister Brian has a connection there. Brother Kasky is observing, Brother and Sister Kasky, their 15th anniversary services in Beloit. And they're having a surprise honorary service for Brother Kasky. And I will be the guest speaker there Sunday evening. So we want you to just pray for the Beloit Church that everything will go fine and then Monday uh, evening it appears that I'll be up in Fond du Lac ministering at a minister's meeting and Tuesday Brother Cisco and I will be flying out to Washington D.C. We have uh, several United Pentecostal Church ministers who have been invited by the president to come to the White House and Brother Cisco and I from Wisconsin have been invited. So come uh, Wednesday, our first meeting in the White House will be Wednesday evening at a, at a banquet. And then Thursday afternoon we'll be meeting with the president. And then Friday, uh, along with the president, we will be in the Israeli embassy meeting with some of the leaders from Israel. So we've got a, quite an exciting week next week. <clears throat> Praise God. Kind of a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity 
I was invited some time back and I turned down the invitation. And the reason why that I turned it down is because this is the busiest time of the year. We have a general conference coming up right away, as you know. So the 28th will be the last, the very last service. Is that 28th or 29th? 29th, I guess it'll be. Sister Grant and I will be in service before we leave for the general conference, for we will leave on Thursday, the following Thursday. We'll be gone a couple of weeks. And then with uh, just a number of things we had going, I just felt that, and then, of course, it costs money to go out there. You have to uh, pay for your own way out there. Even the banquet at the White House you pay for. So uh, I was really amazed whenever I found out how much it would would cost. You know, you would think at a White House uh, banquet it would be real cheap, but they're charging us a total of six dollars. <laughs> no kidding, I I couldn't believe it. I thought it would be probably a hundred dollars, so <laughs> I found out it was going to be six dollars. So they said, make sure you have $6 cash ready (laughs) for the White House banquet. (laughs) Another another, uh, pending situation, and I want to have special prayer before I go much further. As you know, my dad's been taking chemotherapy. He's in the MD Anderson Hospital, and they moved him into a different room today and stopped the chemotherapy because he has very high fever and he's developed infection in the area where they inject this. So they put him on antibiotics, and my mom called me just before we left to go to the funeral home and said, make sure you have special prayer for Dad because he's very sick this evening. So I'd like for you, if you would, to to pray for my dad. I have scheduled only a few days in Texas, uh, and I, I'm not for sure if I maybe I should schedule some more days. The conference is over on Sunday night, and we're going. Sister Grant and I'll be renting a car and going to my folks' place or to the hospital, depending on where Dad is, and we'll be there until Thursday. And I I feel like maybe I should stay a little longer. But I, I do hate to miss a lot of church. I just really hate to I hate to be of course I won't be missing church, I'll just be missing church here. Sometimes when I'm gone, you know, you think, Well, Brother Grant's missing a lot of church. That's not true. I'm I'm usually in church more than you are. <laughs> but it's just a different place. Nothing's like home though. And I like to be here. But if in the event I do have to be down there for a little bit longer, I hope that you understand. And I'm sure if you do understand, you will attend faithfully, regardless of who is speaking or who's not speaking or what's going on or whatever. Promise me you'll do that? Okay. Because some of you, if I'm gone, you leave too. You just don't go out of town. Just don't show up for church. Oh, well, I'm, I'm going to preach on that too, you know, beyond the call of duty, you know. <clears throat> no kidding. Let's, let's.
Let's go before the Lord in prayer. Would you pray for my dad right now? Praise God, Lord Jesus. We ask of you, Father, that the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ come and rest upon my dad. We love you, Father, with our whole heart, with our mind, our soul, our strength, O God. You are great, Lord, and you are great Savior. I know, Lord, that you're going to touch my dad right now. You're going to take this fever away that he has. You're going to strengthen this body and remove this cancerous condition, O God. Lord, I know that you will do this. Lord of heaven, we pray. My Lord, my Lord, my Lord. God, we love you. Jesus, we love you. We praise you. God, we praise you. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And then immediately after the service, I'd like to meet with all the members of our church board, our board of elders. Some are not here in the auditorium. But uh, let's see, who could I get to inform all of the elders? Uh, Brother Manley, why don't you just see that they all get invited into the office? will not be a lengthy meeting. Just have a couple of few things that I need to go through. Beyond the call of duty. Now this man was a good man from the standpoint of the fulfillment of the commandments. I think maybe he had an attitude problem. And we've been talking a lot about attitudes. Attitude seems to be the name of the game in Christianity. Now that's not to say Christianity is just a game, but I think you understand my vernacular there. There are certain people that I meet that always has a good attitude. Now, I must confess, I don't always have a good attitude. I, I try, by the help of the Lord, to stay the same. I have been told by some that I do stay the same. It's just not too good. <laughs> but regardless of, you know, if things are going good or if you're smashing your finger off, which I did yesterday... I really smashed it good. I, I, I try to keep a good attitude. Someone today found out I smashed this, and they said, I guess you let out a few choice words. I said, yes, I, I did. I said, Jesus, Jesus. That is a choice word, isn't it? Praise God. <clears throat> Praise God. Brother Moran was with me, and I really smashed it up good. And it really looked bad. <laughs> and it was bleeding for a long time. And I ended up in the clinic, and after x-raying and found out I smashed the bone, I ended up at the hospital. But uh, it's been throbbing and hurting all day. And this is one day that I would have just enjoyed being grumpy. <clears throat> But sometimes you just cannot follow the leading of your flesh. You just plain can't do that. Attitude, no doubt, plays the most important part of your walk with God. 
So you can't be right with God and be wrong with people. You can't be wrong with God and be right with people. It all goes hand in hand. All goes hand in hand. Now this man was a good man from the standpoint of doing what was right, but he was not good enough. In other words, he did lack something. I think... uh, And we have some people who were baptized Sunday night. To those who were baptized Sunday night, let me just give you a couple of words of advice. The greatest work that the Holy Ghost performs is inside of you. See, when the disciples came to the Lord and they spoke about the kingdom of God, Jesus said, the kingdom of God is within you. And Paul, in his instructions to the church at Thessalonica, in 1 Thessalonians, the fifth chapter, he spoke that God would want to sanctify you wholly. And he speaks of body, soul, and spirit. And the greatest work of the Holy Ghost And the greatest effect of the Holy Ghost takes place inside of your heart. I think because that Pentecostal people are noted to be emotional, demonstrative, or that they manifest a lot of exuberance in their worship or in their services, some of them get their minds upon the external. Now, the external is so very, very important. But you see, you cannot control the external unless there are some inner controls. Something's got to take place inside of the heart. Now, when I say go beyond the call of duty, duty seems to be what you do with the outer part, that is, what you would do with your hands or with your body, and yet not really have your heart into it, not really put your heart into it. You can see two people working, you can tell who's interested and who's not. They may do the same amount of work, but you can tell who's 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 getting with it and who's not. Isn't that true? You've seen that. You see kids out playing. You know who's really interested in it and who's not. See, you know who wants to go take a break? Who wants to keep going? And we, uh, having a Christian school here, we see that a lot. You see the kids reading their Bibles. They are all reading, but you know who's enjoying it and who's not. You can see them making the pledge of allegiance to the flag. You know who's pledging the flag and who's not. See? After a while, and Brother Seidel, if I think he's downstairs, but when we get them up for, for worship, you know who's worshiping and who's not, even though the, we require them all to lift their hands and praise the Lord. You may say you require them to praise the Lord. In the Christian school we do. Because we don't consider the school to be voluntary. 
I mean, even the state says you have to go to school. So we say if you go to a Christian school, you got to act like a Christian. If you don't want to act like a Christian, then go go where the you can do whatever you want to do. You know, it's just that simple. But you know who's praising the Lord and who's not. You can come into a service like this, and I know who is with the program and who isn't. Now, that's not to say that everybody all the time, I don't want to say that it should be with it. You're going to misinterpret that. If I Sometimes a man will work his fingers to the bone on a public job, and when he gets to the when he gets to the uh, house of the Lord, you know, you have to pat him on the back that he came. <laughs> then he looks tired during service. That's really better than staying home. See, it really is. It is better than staying home. But but for the most part, if if a if a person get, gets in this spiritual sag, you can detect it. You can see it. You just know because everybody having their hands raised doesn't just denote that everybody's with the program. Follow what I'm saying? And quite often, you will see some person that things seem to go well with them and you wonder why things go well with them I made a comment to two or three people and I don't I don't mind making this comment publicly somebody just told me not long ago said Brother Grant everything seems to go well with you without much work in other words just seems like that everything seems to fall in place we see the truth of the matter is Things don't go that easy for me. If you want to know the truth, I work my head off sometimes to get things going right. Because, see, I'm interested, vitally interested, in the Lord blessing me. And one of the first things that you will need to learn when you start walking with God, is how to appropriate a blessing. Now, we have a lesson that will be taught in the Christian stewardship class. It's been taught before on how to appropriate a blessing. Do you know that you can do certain things that causes God to bless you? And you can do certain things that God couldn't bless you if he wanted to because he is bound by principles. See, the Lord runs his business by principles, not by feelings. See, God wants to do certain things, but feels that he shouldn't do it because of your response to certain other things. I may not be making any sense at all here. I won't be so vague later on. See? Now, there are certain people, though, I, I, every time I see them, they have a good attitude. I mean, they just have a good attitude. And you, you can just you meet certain people, and they're just always the same, and they're always smiling, and it doesn't seem 
to make any difference what goes wrong, they have a good attitude. Then you can meet certain other people that they always got a little axe to grind, see, chip on their shoulder, disgruntled about something. You know, always got, well, you know, things, things are not quite right. Now, the truth of the matter is probably things are wrong with both people. The problem is that one looks on the negative side while another looks on the positive side. There are all kinds of good things about everybody. And you can even look for good things in things, not just people. See, all things work together for good to those who love the Lord and are called according to his purpose. And Paul says you can do nothing against the church but for the church. Now that leads me to believe that if I'm living right, I don't care what you do against me, God will turn it around and cause it to be good. For example, if the church has the right attitude and if the world or the city surrounding them all of a sudden gets down on the church and let's say in the newspaper in various places they begin to write adverse articles if the church does not fight them and if the church manifests a good attitude toward the community I'll assure you that all of the erroneous advertisements that they receive will only stir curiosity that will cause people to get saved You can't do anything against the church but for the church. Now that just simply means that you're going to always be on a winning team if your attitude's right. And your attitude is the basic ingredient that causes you to go beyond the call of duty. Now we want to just point out a few things. Now, you know, as a pastor... Looking over the overall work of God, there are certain things that 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 uh, that you just have to say no to that that seem to be very good. Now, let me just point out what I'm talking about. Okay. Now, this seems to be a far out example, but I think it's I think it's a good one that'll. We had someone to come to me, and they wanted to start a west side bus route. Okay. I said, let's don't start a west side bus route. Why? I said, well, <clears throat> it's a long ways to the west side, and, and the thing about it is once you start it, you should not stop it unless... God specifically says, no west side bus route. Now, the reason why that I put it that way is because I felt that what would happen, the person would start the route, get it going, and then all of a sudden they decide they weren't interested. Then what are they going to do? They're going to dump it on somebody that doesn't have a burden. And you can't run the program without a burden. Now, some people will feel responsible enough to the cause of the Lord to pick up that route and run that route. Somebody will do that. 
But you can't operate the work of God like that. You see, anytime you start a new program and you advertise for workers, there'll be a lot of people come and say, oh, I want to do it. Why? Because, you see, when you start new programs, people respond because of enthusiasm. But there is a time when enthusiasm leaves you and you operate on the basic burden that God's given you. See? So after the program's been going six or eight months, a lot of the people have peeled off and you've got four or five people that, are, that you can depend on to do the work. See? Those people will keep it up because they've got a burden for it. They have a calling to that. So I know that anytime we start anything new, I don't care what it is, if we're going to dig holes for a gold post out on the lawn, you know, somebody's going to get out there, but, you know, after the sun comes up and it gets hot, some people are going to decide we don't need a gold post. You know, it just works that way. So... This, this is basically the way people are. You know, they get enthused about new ideas. But when the new wears off, or the old saying is, the honeymoon hours pass, then what? <clears throat> See, marriage would be a great experience if you could stay on a honeymoon. But after a while, you've got to go back to work to support that marriage. And all of the laundry and such from sweaty clothes have to be filtered through hands. Now who wants to be married? You know. So a lot of people abandon the idea of marriage. This is the reason why you have more Divorces in certain areas and you have marriages because people want out of it. So after a while, see, the honeymoon hours are gone. Now the people who have a burden will be left. I said, no, we don't want want to start a west side bus route. Not until we pray about it and seek the Lord. Well, this person just kept putting pressure on me. We've got to start it. We've got to start it. She no more than got it started. And then all of a sudden... Well, I don't know what I'm going to do. You know, got uh, got other responsibilities. So, what happens? Just all of a sudden, here's the bus route going around. Uh, now, what am I going to do? And so, try to get somebody else. Well, I did get somebody else, and several people. I think you even worked on that bus route. And several other people worked on the bus route. Now, the thing about it is we don't have a bus west side bus route right now. And we always had problems with the workers over on the west side. Now, does that, does that mean that Brother Brian was at fault? You, you follow what? See, the thing about it is... When you have a specific calling, you will only fulfill that position when you possess the ability to go beyond the call of duty. 
See, I've never felt that everybody in the church ought to teach search for truth. I've never felt that everybody in the church ought to be involved in campus ministry. I've never felt that everybody in the church ought to be involved in rest home ministry. I've never felt that everybody in the church ought to be involved in jail ministries. I believe that every man has his own calling. But it's in the area in which your calling is that you are required of God to go beyond the call of duty. Now, we just had all kinds of problems with the West Side route, and it seemed like we just, we finally had to stop it. Now, the problem is when you stop something like that, people are depending on you. So I get these floods of calls on Sunday morning. You mean the, 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 the workers were not going to be picking up the kids anymore over here? No, ma'am, I'm sorry. You mean the blue bus is not going to be running by anymore? No, it won't be. Well, what are we going to do? You follow what I'm saying? Now you know why I didn't want to start one. So I think certain things you should never do. If you do not possess the ability to do it with all your might to the best of your ability... Now let me just explain something. We started a north side route. We started a south side route. The south side south side route. Should be easy to say, shouldn't it? When we started that, I remember Sister Jan wanted to start that, and I said no. And she prayed and sought the Lord, and of course she was talking to my wife, and they started that. And and we went and bought a bus because that they were picking up the kids in four and five cars. Now the see see the thing about it is they had a burden for it, and they said we're going to run the route even if. The church cannot afford the transportation. See? And so what's happened here is after a period of years, we're still running some buses in these areas. And basically because that people with burdens picked up the job and they kept it going. Now, I think if you, if, you, if you look at what I'm trying to describe here, purely from a biblical standpoint, you'll see what I'm talking about. Now, let me just, let me just get into something else, and then we'll loop back and catch this uh, a little bit later. Did you know if you want a job done, and you want it done right, the best person to give it to is not the person who has the time to do it. But the best person to give a job to is a busy person. Now, I learned that a long time ago. 
Because there's all kinds of people that have all kinds of time to do things, but if you give them an extra job, it doesn't mean anything to them. The reason why that they're idle to start with is because they're shirking responsibilities. Have you ever seen an ambitious person that had nothing to do? Now think about that. So if you want something done, you give it to a busy person. Not a person who has all kinds of time on their hands. I've had people come to me and say, you know, this brother, this says they got all kinds of time. Give them something. And I've given them things, and I've given them things that they'd never done. And I knew when I gave it to them, they won't do that. Because, see, I've never seen an industrious, busy person or ambitious person that, that just was, was looking for something to do. No, they always have things to do. And the reason why that people have a lot of idle time is because that they're not ambitious. <laughs> because they're shirking responsibilities. You know, like, it, like people in America are screaming, we need work, we need work, we need work, we need jobs, we need jobs. Listen, there's more work than you could ever get done. I mean, there's more work to do than you could ever get done. No, <clears throat> it's not work. It's not jobs. Now, you may have a problem with money. Maybe people couldn't pay you if you did the work. But you know something I found out? A person who is ambitious, for the most part, doesn't make any difference where he gets paid to do it or not. He's going to do it. There's just certain people that just, they just plain, they're going to find things to do and keep busy. You see, the greatest problem with depression is idleness. Isn't that right? Depression. I've had people say, I'm depressed, I'm depressed, I'm depressed, I'm depressed. You ever get depressed, Brother Grant? I don't have time to get depressed. <clears throat> oh, I'm serious with you. I just plain don't have time to get depressed. I mean, when, could I, when do I possibly have time to just sit around and think about things that are not right and what I'd like to do? So anxieties build up and pressures build up. and No, I don't have time for that. See, now I have an idea that the body was meant to be used in work. We have programs by certain clinics and insurance companies and everything that, that tell us, you need to exercise, you need to exercise. Paul Harvey recently said, I think it was this week, said America is really a funny country. The only place in the world where people will walk four miles or jog four miles, come in, take a, take a nice shower, and sit out by the bus stop for 20 minutes to catch a bus for four blocks. See, <clears throat> what the deal is, <clears throat> medically speaking, the body needs work. Exercise is work, see. So the body was meant to be strong and healthy, and it was meant to be challenged. You take on a new job, if it's not nothing more than just a, something that you're, you're doing around the house, and, and, and the first day 
You get so sore you feel like a ton of bricks fell right on top of you. Next day you feel like you run over by a semi-truck. Next day you can't get out of bed. You get back up and you go back, I've got to do it, I've got to do it. You know, after about a, a week of that, you get to feeling real good. Don't you? I mean, you really get to feeling good. You think, this is going to kill me. And after about two weeks, well, you go to bed later than you've been going to bed. You wake up early in the morning, and you wake up and you feel like a million dollars. Just, wow! But if you don't have anything to do, you sit down, you start getting lazy, your blood doesn't flow right, and you get depressed. Now, I understand what I'm about to say, and I understand it well. But if I did know more than some people, I believe I'd just shoot myself. I mean, I'd get so depressed. I really, I don't think I could stand it. I think I'd just have to just shoot myself. You may say, oh, you never kill yourself. Well, but see, I kind of equate just sitting down and doing nothing was kind of irrational thinking too. You follow what I'm saying? It just, I, I just can't, you know, I just, in my own mind, I, and I know that one of my biggest faults is that I, I expect too much out of people. But but so help me, you know. You know, I was building a house in Cushing, Texas, and I think one of the funniest things that I, I, I every day I worked on that house, and I looked out across the street, and there was a house over there, and it had one of these porch swings, and there were two people that sat on that, in that swing every day, and they just swung all day long. About noon, they'd get up and go in and eat. They'd come back and they'd swing. So when I got there in the morning, they were swinging, and and at noontime they were they whenever I quit uh, for lunch they quit but when I got back for, to work they were swinging and whenever I left they were still swinging and I thought now can you imagine can can you possibly imagine people who had nothing more to do than to just just swing all day I mean just swing watch the cars go by I wonder who who wonder where that person's going you know. Now, when God called people in the Bible, He always called people who were busy. Now, it wasn't that He was looking for a busy person to give them additional work. No. God knows who can do the job and who won't. And idle hands or a sure sign of an inner problem. What do you think the apostles were doing? Every last one of them when Jesus called them. When Jesus went out apostle picking, he found some fishing, some collecting taxes, and some doing this and that. But every last one of them, when he called them, he called them away from a line of duty and responsibility. You notice that? Did he? Sure he did. What do you think the Lord was looking at 
when he called the Apostle Paul. Now look at Paul for a minute. What kind of a man was Paul? Do you think Paul was a, a God, godly person? Quite the contrary. Boy, when they were stoning Stephen, while he didn't get involved from the standpoint of actually stoning Stephen, they were piling up the coats. He was watching the coats. Man, he was, he was cheering them on. And then he went and got letters and was going to Damascus to persecute the Christians when the Lord called him. Now, the strange thing about it is that, that, that God could look down and see something in a man like that that he could use. It certainly wasn't his hatred for Christianity. What was it? It was his basic attitude toward life itself. He was a man who not, was, not only was willing, but was always going beyond the call of duty. That's the kind of person he was. I mean, that's, that's just, that denotes the kind of person that he was. Now, we go all the way back to the Old Testament, to the book of Judges, the sixth chapter. Let's, let's go back there to Judges 6. And the Bible <clears throat> tells us verse 11. And there came an angel of the Lord which sat under the oak which was at Orphra, that pertained to Joas, the Abazarite, and his son Gideon threshed wheat by the winepress to hide it from the Midianites. And the angel of the Lord appeared unto him and said unto him, the Lord is with thee, thy mighty man of valor. Now, we don't have any record ever of Gideon hearing from God. Now, what he was doing, he was working, and he, in fact, he had to go and thresh wheat by the wine press. Evidently, the wine press was in a hidden place. And I looked at this, and when it says by the wine press, you know what he was probably doing? He, the wine press was a place hollowed out in the ground. And this is where the men got down in the wine press, and they'd, t they'd take their, pull their shoes off, and they would mash these wine, uh, wines, these grapes, <laughs> with their feet. And you know probably what he did during a season in which they were not pressing the grapes. He was taking and, and, and going down in the wine press and here he was threshing this wheat. Now he had every excuse in the world to be idle. But here's a man that was industrious enough, ambitious enough, he was going to do his work. It didn't make any difference. If he had to hide to do it, he'd find a way. You know, I'm really amazed at, at the ingenuity of some people. Now listen, I've worked with some people that got real ambitious toward certain responsibilities or goals, and you'd be surprised what they would do. I knew of a man, a man that I worked with, and, 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 and he, he, was, he was great at improvising. He didn't have a lot of money or anything, but... He 
he could find a way to do almost anything you would think of. And somebody gave him an oil derrick. Now an oil derrick is just a big, tall structure. And he was going to use it for a windmill stand. He's going to put a windmill on it. Well, it's too tall for that. And he, and he didn't have the money to, to rent a crane to put it up, and, and he had nothing to, to really put it up with. And you know what he did? I, I was really amazed at what this man did. He did it all by himself. There was a huge oak tree way across his property over there. This man assembled that oil derrick, the part that he wanted, the top part of it, down about 60 or 70 feet to about 100 feet tall, on the ground. And he climbed up in the top of that oak tree and put a big block and tackle thing up there and ran a cable down to about two-thirds away from the bottom of that thing so that it wouldn't, and took his tractor and pulled that thing upright and set it on a slide that he had built, then disconnected, disconnected the thing from the tree and connected the slide to his tractor and pulled that over to where the well was. And he did it all in one day's time. And when people came by there, Mr. Schockler, who was full-blooded German, they thought he was crazy but in one day's time, they saw this windmill fully assembled out in the middle of nowhere. And they said, how in the world did he do that by himself? Well, you see, he would have had to hire cranes and a big crew and everything. But he assembled it on the ground. He had it all figured out. The old saying, where there's a will, there's a way. Somebody quoted that to me. He said, what is it about where there's a will? I said, I think it goes like But where there's a will, there's a way. And he did it. And you go by How did he do that? All by himself in one day's time. Yes, my friend. By himself in one day's time. He put it up. What was it in Gideon that God saw? Was he a warrior? No. Was he a God-called man? I mean, did he? No, it was none of this. What was it about him then? He possessed the ability to do his work conscientiously. To do it well. He was a man who was willing to go beyond the call of duty. You see, that's what God's looking for in people. And I'm speaking tonight to some men who God will call to the ministry. And you need to hear what I'm talking about. Because there's some people who are always looking for ways to get out of things, and they're always, always ending up in trouble. But Gideon was just this type of person. So God always calls busy people. Now let me tell you what duty alone can do. Duty alone can be the biggest headache to people that you'd ever imagine.
because I have had people who decided that a Sunday school class needed to be painted. This is just an example. I'm not to, if I happen to hit real close to home, it's not that I'm trying to address somebody because I, I'm not a coward. I would tell you if I was dissatisfied. But I've had people who decided that certain things need to be done. Now I have this little idea. If you're the person that feels it ought to be done, you're the person that ought to do it. So when people come and say, you know what we need to do? I said, you got yourself a job, friend. <laughs> but I've had people to go and, 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 and buy. I say, let's back up on the story. Brother Graham, we need to paint a Sunday school room. Okay, they called me in the middle of the day and said, could you please have the paint there when I get there? Well, you know what that means. That means me dropping everything, going over Lake City Glass, where we get the paint. That's where we used to buy all our paint. Or malts. Or some other place and getting the paint. So when I get there, they don't have a brush or anything. But they fail to mention it. I guess we need a drop cloth in here, don't you think, Brother Grant? I believe maybe you do. Yes, I wouldn't get that on the carpet. Wonder where can I get one? Well, I think Brother So-and-so said, they get on the phone, they come back and say, you know, I just barely got enough gasoline to make it home. You think you could run over and pick that up for me? Now, all of these things that happened to me, not only in one story, not in one case, but I, I'm actually telling you things that, but, but over the years in which I pastored, you'd be surprised. So I'd go pick up a drop cloth, and then, then what do you think would happen? They'd paint and get it all over the windows. Now, they didn't trim it out real well, see? And then they'd just leave their paintbrushes lay. The next day, you'd see these $10 paintbrushes, two or three of them. Well, it costs more than the paint. Here, they're all hard. Now, somebody's got to go in and pick that up. Now, somebody has got to go sand all that stuff off of that trim in that Sunday school room. Well, they got it the color they wanted it. But some people are concerned about more than just the color. They want it done right. And I have actually counted all the hours and I've come to this conclusion. You know, I would have been better off if I would have just said, I'll paint it. But you see, beyond the call of duty... Causes an individual. There's, there's some little seed inside of some people that everything they do, it must be done right. Now you may say, what bearing does all of this have on Christianity? It has a whole lot of bearing on Christianity. Now I've got to tell you this. I've done a lot of carpentry work, and there's certain things that I don't... If nobody ever sees it, I can't leave it a certain way. Seal it up in the wall. I just can't leave it like that. Because every time I pass that house on a certain road, I think about that one thing that I didn't do right that's sealed up forever in that wall. <laughs> and somebody paid me to do it right. And I didn't do it right. 
and I feel like a cheat. I get to feeling real cheap and no good. If I'm just cutting blocks, I like to cut blocks all the same length and straight or square. Now, Doug's a carpenter. You know what I'm talking about. You know, there's, just, there's something about it. I've seen him work. That's the reason why I don't mind, mind saying that. See? There's just, there's just something about it. You see, almost everything you do, if you possess a certain attitude, it reflects not just in your physical life, but it, it reflects in everything. You get this don't care attitude, so so what? What difference does it matter if I do this or that and the other? And after a while, you see, does it make any difference whether I go to church tonight or not? I guess not. I know, always catch it next week. Some people are that way about their convictions. God talks to them, well, one of these days I guess I'll start doing this, that, and the other. And they, you see, they always live their life intending to be better. Intending to do it a certain way. Now, I prayed today. I prayed yesterday. And i got to tell you, after I smashed my finger the way I did, broke the bone all up and everything... When I got in the bed last night and I elevated my hand, I thought, I'm going to pray right here. I was sick. Now, I was literally sick. Now, I don't know what it is. I believe I could cut my head off, and if I didn't lose my life doing it, which I probably would, I don't think it'd make me sick. But the moment I walk inside of a hospital to get it taken care of, I get sick. And I smash that thing. And I think Brother Moran can tell you, I could just sit there and talk and everything, and it didn't make me sick. It didn't. But the moment I went down to that hospital, friend, I got as sick as a horse. <laughs> ah! I told him, I told I said, I'm going to tell you, I'm going to get sick now. <laughs> and I want, you to, I want you to go get a bed. I'm not going to sit in this chair because I want this finger only sewed up, not my head. I told her that, so I had to take a bed. When I got home, listen, I was wiped out. I was sick. I was sick, totally sick. And so I got my hand elevated on this ice thing, and I've taken two Tylenol threes, which they told me to take. And listen, I was, I just wasn't feeling good. So. You know, I just, oh God, Lord, I love you, Jesus, I love you. I was trying to get spiritual because. <laughs> but you know, the more I prayed, the more it bothered me. And the more it bothered me. Now, it doesn't make any difference where you pray, do you think? Well, you know, sometimes it does. It does to me. And I thought, now, I could get down and kneel and pray. But why bother? Because I'm hurting. Oh, I'm hurting. And I felt drowsy. And you know, the more I prayed, the more it bothered me. Because, let me tell you something. Any one of you who had a knock on the door, 
I would have gotten up and gone down to the living room and sat down and talked to you. Any one of you. And I got to thinking about that. I said, if the phone rings and somebody's got to talk to me, Sister Grant will bring the phone over and said, Honey, they've got to talk to you. I would have said, Sure. And that bothered me. And I got out and I knelt down. And I said, Now, Lord, I've got to be honest. I've got to be honest. You know, see, I've got this feeling that if I'm not ready to meet the Lord today, if the rapture takes place, the chances are I won't be ready when it does take place. Because you see, that kind of an attitude just kind of promotes additional sloppiness and laziness. See, Follow what I'm saying? It can't be that way. Just, 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 can't be that way. You've got to be rapture ready tonight. And if I made up my mind that it didn't make any difference whether I was rapture ready tonight, you wouldn't see me in church. But you see, I believe that Jesus could come back tonight, and my soul is too valuable to God and to myself than to me to take a, make a gamble like that. You can't do that. You can't do that. And you, and you know, when, when the Lord called people, what He was not calling righteous people, He was calling them to righteousness. He always called people who possessed a particular quality and all of these people who became great leaders, the same quality that they had before they were saved, they used that same quality righteously after they became saved. I've had people to call me and, and ask me, uh, we have a certain person who has applied for a job. <clears throat> what is your recommendation? Now, most of the people, you know, I recommend them. I have, there have been cases where I, I just couldn't. I've just told the person, I would, I prefer you not to ask me. That is, if I couldn't. Because, see, if I go into a woman's house and it's just all torn up and messed up and not clean and you know see some some people's attitude you knock on the door at noon lady comes to the door she's not dressed properly that is to to do housework or anything you know she's still got her just her house coat on her hair's all down and eyes are matted and and uh, she's been up for hours but see she she doesn't you know you know you don't understand what i'm saying now, this is Thursday night, see. See, you, you know how it is. Sunday morning, it's evangelistic. Sunday night, it's evangelistic. Thursday night, it's kind of a kick in the seat, you know. So, <clears throat> right, let's get ready for Sunday night. Let's get ready for Sunday morning. See. 
I've had parents to say, don't you think correspondence courses for kids are okay? You know, I think they're great. But they don't work. Why? Because most parents will let the kid get up out of bed, eat breakfast, go back up and fall across the bed and grab a book and lay there across the bed doing their homework all day long or doing their work. So correspondence courses don't work. I said, if you can discipline yourself and discipline your child to get up and get dressed, I'm talking about brushing teeth, combing hair, washing face, the boys shaving. Now, I don't, I'm, not, I'm not saying that I think this is a recommendation, but you know I have shaven two times every day since my ninth year in high school. Ninth year in school. (laughs) (laughs) And somebody said, you mean to tell me, Brother Grant, that when you get in in the afternoon, you shave? Yes, I do. I shave when I come to work. Why? It affects my attitude. I don't have to shave. I can tell people, if you don't like the way I look, don't look. But you know what? When I get home, here's my wife. My wife usually has supper in the oven. She's got some candles burning. Nice, neat, clean place. And when I walk over... Don't you worry, Brother Brian. (laughs) My wife is always neat and clean. And the truth of the matter is, if she cares enough for me to present herself to me that way, what's wrong with me? Why do I want to act like some kind of a slob? No, that's just the way I feel about it. Could I put in something that's really a kick in the seat? Some of you guys wouldn't have problems with jealousy either. If you clean up and smell right. (laughs) You wouldn't have to be worrying about where mama's looking. She'd be looking at you. I'm having fun. (laughs) Praise God. Now, where was I? Just about finished, huh? No, truthfully. Now, truthfully, you think about this for a minute. You know, I talked to somebody one time about making up the beds. They said, well, they they just get messed up an hour or so later. Isn't that something you get out of bed and make it up and then you go back and you just get it all messed up again? 
Well, we'll just close the door. But I know what's behind that door. Now, basically, you see, I'm putting a lot of things in. You may say, Brother Grant, it may be a personal preference. Yes, I agree with that. A lot of these things I'm saying is really just a matter of personal preference. But you see, the reason why I'm saying this is because, you see, what happens is that some people develop a particular lifestyle that does indeed affect their call. With God. And the reason why that going beyond the call of duty is so beneficial is because, you see, when a job is delegated out, it includes everything from the time the planning takes place until the last straw is swept off the sidewalk. That's the completion of the task. See, and if you and if you don't go beyond the line of duty, what happens is people arrive for the job. You're not even ready to start the job. People walk away. You have to end up doing it mostly alone. Then you leave everything behind for somebody else to clean up. Now, by that I mean, let's look at this thing spiritually. Isn't that also true in a spiritual sense? See? So, if I get in trouble, somebody will help me out. So, you're ringing the phone more, calling somebody, saying, you know what happened? I think I need some help. I'm not making fun of anybody who needs help. I'm trying to help you to be able to find a place in God in which you can help others. Faithful in the small things is so very, very important. The promise to the rich young ruler, that was that if he'd go sell all that he had and give to the poor, he said, one thing thou lackest. Now, in other words, he, he was just a great man, but, but he didn't do it all. Now, the thing that the Lord required of him was no small thing. Please understand, it was no small thing. But the Lord pointed out, you've done a lot of things right, but one little thing wrong. Now, this is what you've got to do. Some people's lives are just about this far from being successful, financially or physically, really. Now, I, I hope that you understand that whenever I stand up here and say what I say, I'm, I'm making some personal references. I believe beyond a shadow of a doubt, listen to me, that if I had not become involved in the ministry, I'd be a millionaire today. I believe that. I actually believe that I could take taken a hammer and a saw and the ability that I had, that, that I know came from God, and I could have become a millionaire. I believe that. Now you may say, Brother Grant, I don't believe that. I believe it. Now, please understand, I'm not regretting I'm in the ministry because I believe I'm richer by far. See, I really believe that I am richer by far than I would have been if I had a million dollars. 
But the reason why that I believe that I could have become a millionaire is because I could set a budget, watch how I spend, and know when I started a project exactly where I was going and exactly how much it's going to cost me. And project that out so far and keep tabs of everything and know exactly where I was. And I think that I was ambitious enough to do it. Now, I'm richer by far. Please understand. But I said that to say this. I believe that God wants you to be successful in your walk with Him. You know, the bumper sticker that states, God don't sponsor no flops. You see that? (laughs) Very poor English, but it's good philosophy. See, it's good theology, maybe I should say. God wants you to be successful. I'm serious. In a minister's meeting not long ago, a question came up. How can I produce a successful Christian church? Number one, mediocre preachers produce mediocre saints. Number two, mediocre preachers produce mediocre saints. Number three, mediocre preachers produce mediocre saints. The story stops and ends right there. Don't ever expect to be a successful church or to have one. Preachers, if you can't get your eyes on what you know God's called you to do, And do it. I want the men of Calvary Gospel Church to be strong, brave, courageous, successful men. And every now and then I stand up and it's a kick in the seat all the way because I talk about laziness and such like I'm talking about today. But when you put yourself in a prime position that God looks down and God blesses you and your whole household is blessed and your whole family is blessed as a result of your conscientious Christian living, you're going to say, thank the Lord, I found a better way. Praise God, praise God, praise God. And I know I come down hard on something. Somebody asked me, Well, Brother Grant, you mean to tell me that you think that the welfare system is not right? I think they ought to scrap the whole ball of wax. You may say, but what would people do without welfare? Same thing they did before they got it, and they were much better off. You may say, but I'm on welfare, so get off. Go get yourself a job. 
But I'd starve to death. Nobody in America starves to death. You may say, but people have to come around and feed me. People are feeding you right now. You may say, better watch out, you're going to make me mad. Ha ha. It's all right. No, I'm serious. I'm serious with you. Now, you may say, but Brother Grant, the truth of the matter is, we can't do without it. I understand we can't the way we're set up in our system. But you see, in the church, listen to this very carefully. In the church, did you know that the welfare of individuals became the responsibility of the brothers and sisters in the church? Did you know that almost one half of all of your tax money is spent on welfare? And did you know that we could take every person in this building who legitimately should be on some type of relief, and if you took one half the taxes of every person here and you helped that person, you could make that person wealthy? <clears throat> now you think about what I'm saying. I mean, we wouldn't hurt. We, we wouldn't hurt. And you say, well, but you see, the thing about it is nobody would nobody'd help me. Oh, yes, they would. Sure they would. There are a lot of God-called people who will help. I helped several people just this past week. Four or five people called me, wanted help. I even wired some money to New York City. Just by telephone call, found out later I was ripped off. The person who said they were going to be in Madison on a plane never came. That doesn't bother me. Why doesn't that bother you that you're ripped off? Well, I'll tell you the reason why. Because I think nothing about picking up anybody in this church and going out to a nice restaurant and sitting down and saying, put the bill on Pastor Grant. I wouldn't think anything about it. Wouldn't bother me at all. You see, I buy a lot of meals, but people buy me meals too. Follow what I'm saying? All comes out even, see. So I wouldn't. I, it wouldn't bother me at all. But you see, when, 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 when men and women become conscientious, not just in in their Christian living, but you see, you, you see. There's a false dualism that's taught in, 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 the, in the humanism, in the world, that, that teaches you to separate the sacred from the secular. And you can't do that in the Scripture. That everything that you are is reflective against your God. Or for your God, whether it be good or evil. People pass by your house and your yard's not mowed. They say, why are you so lazy? Isn't that true? Well, they don't take into consideration maybe that your lawnmower's broken. They chalk it up as laziness. Isn't that true? Go by in your house not painted. They say, wow, that thing's going to rot down. You'd think you'd be a better steward than that. You zip around somebody and 
you got a bumper sticker on honk if you love Jesus and the dirt's so deep on there somebody put wash me on your car you follow what I'm saying am I making sense tonight we got some visitors here and I know that you may say I never heard this coming out of a preacher at church pal we do this all the time you see my is to see people walk on streets of gold. But I also understand that there are some benefits in being a Christian right down here. Jesus taught those. And if a church has successful men, men who are ambitious, men who have good jobs, men who are conscientious, the church will be a soul winning church. It'll be a prayer church it'll be a giving church because God wants to sanctify you how? spirit how else? body and soul going beyond the call of duty simply means that whatever I have to do Lord let me get my heart in it. If I'm not doing anything but digging a ditch. So you don't have to have a burden to dig a ditch. Quite the contrary. Probably never would get a burden. But God, if I'm going to dig a ditch, let me dig a straight one. See? If i got to paint this wall, let this be the best wall that's ever been painted. If I've got to pray for the sick, let me see this person healed. And let me minister to this person. And let me pray as effective prayer as I possibly can pray. If I'm going to attend a prayer meeting, let me keep my mind on you, Jesus. Let me, let, let me do this right. See? If it's my time to vacuum the church, let's be, let this be the best vacuuming job this church has ever gotten. If I'm supposed to sweep the sidewalk, let me do it the best I can. See? There's just something inside of these men that God called in the Bible that wanted to do everything as good as they could. Some people, see, they pray half-hearted prayers. Consequently, they half-repent. And they stay filled up halfway with the Holy Ghost. And everything's halfway, 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 halfway. We're, the, the hour's too late. Jesus is coming back. We can't afford to be that way. Let us stand. You know, if you're choosing leaders, Jesus said, He that is great among you, let him be your minister. Now, minister here comes from the Greek word, which means wait on tables. He that's chief among you, let him be servants, servant of all. And then he gives himself as an example, just like the Son of Man came to give his life for his friends. So if you're choosing leaders, this is the way you always choose them. Number one, is this person a responsible or dependable person? Number two, is this person a loyal person? Number three, is this person a truthful person?
And number four, does this person have the ability to do the job? Now, is that scriptural, Brother Grant? Yes, it is. But let's just look in, in Luke 19 now. And we'll close with this. In Luke 19, Jesus talks about the pounds. <clears throat> and as they heard these things, he added and spake a parable, verse 11, because he was nigh to Jerusalem and because they thought that the kingdom of God should immediately appear. He said, therefore, a certain nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and to return. He called his ten servants and delivered unto them ten pounds, and he said unto them, Occupy till I come. But his citizens hated him and sent a message after him, saying, We will not have this man to reign over us. And it came to pass that when he was returned, having received the kingdom, then he commanded these servants to be called unto him to whom he had given the money, that he might know how much every man had gained by trading. Now, you know, if I understand this right, it simply means that everything that you do, God sees it. And every ability that you have came from God. See? Then came the first saying, Lord, thy pound hath gained ten pounds. And he said unto him, Well, thou good servant, because thou hast been faithful in the very little. We're talking about being faithful in the very little. Going beyond the call of duty. Thou have authority over ten cities. Can you believe what the Lord's saying there? See? He that is faithful in the few shall become ruler over many. But he didn't stop there. He came to the second saying, Lord, thy pound hath gained five pounds. And he said likewise to him, Be thou also over Five cities. Now, I personally believe that the Mormon doctrine is a lie. I personally believe that. But the Mormons teach something that is a little bit fascinating to me. And they say that wherever you are, when you die here, is where you start in eternity. Now, I don't believe all of that. But I do believe this. I believe that Christians are indeed rewarded according to their works. How can we believe that? Because the Bible tells us that. <clears throat> so you see, what you're doing here, when you go beyond the call of duty, what, are you, what do you think you're doing? You're laying up treasures in heaven see nobody gets a pat on the back for doing what they ought to do no 
You know, if you go to somebody and say, hey, you sure had a good attitude, so what? He just should have a good attitude. But if his attitude is exceptional, he deserves a pat on the back. In other words, if you owe a man $10 and you pay him $10, he doesn't owe you a thank you card. You owe it to him for loaning it. But you didn't do any more than what you should have done. He's the one that should get the credit because he loaned it. Follow what I'm saying? And so if you don't go beyond the call of duty, what's your reward going to be? You don't, you don't deserve anything. Because you're not doing any more than what you should have done anyway. But the commendation, the pat on the back comes when you go beyond the call of duty. And every time that you go the extra mile, you're laying up additional treasures in heaven. Another came saying, Lord, behold, here is thy pound, which I have kept laid up in a napkin. For I feared thee, because thou art an austere man. Thou takest up that thou layest not down, and reapest that thou didst not sow. And he said unto him, Out of thine own mouth will I judge thee, thou wicked servant. Thou knewest. In other words, you knew what kind of a man I was. You told me yourself. But you didn't do anything about it. Why? So you see, if you don't go beyond the call of duty, what's your reward going to be? Got the Holy Ghost now? Got it when Jesus comes back. So, got to do more than that. Got to do more than that. Got to do more than that. One man said, God does not require anything but my best. Are you sure? How can I do more than my best? You can. Because you see, when you grow in knowledge and in grace in the Lord Jesus Christ, your best today fades in the shadows of the worst of tomorrows. Tomorrow. God requires the best that you can possibly become. Not the best you are. Do your best every day. But if you do your best every day, That'll finally become mediocre to you. But seeing I want to do thy will, O Lord. I think if you'll go to G, we tried in C, but that was too. I want to do thy will, O Lord. I don't have the key written down here. We've been singing this a lot lately.